It's good to see you. Good to be together this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dave, and I'm excited to get into God's Word together this morning. And so if you have a copy of Scripture, I'd encourage you to grab that, pull that out, open up to the book of Daniel. Uh, We've been walking through this uh, series together, and we are now in our sixth week. Uh, It's easy to tell which week we're in because we've been doing a chapter a week, so um, we're making good progress, good good time. Um, The way that, uh, yeah, the book of Daniel is kind of laid out is um, each of those chapters, especially in the first six chapters, kind of contain just a specific story and a specific uh, message and a specific theme. But overall, what we've been seeing as we've been walking through uh, the book of Daniel has been what does it mean, what does it look like to uh, shine in the darkness? Uh, the darkness um, that uh, uh, Daniel and his friends experienced was when he uh, was taken into exile, um, dragged uh, hundreds of miles away from home, and uh, forced to uh, sort of uh, conform and fit into this culture, uh, which was Babylon. And uh, Babylon, we said at the very first week, is, is not just, it was a real empire, it was a, existing in history, but it represents oftentimes in Scripture um, a a spirit of darkness and a uh, an an an, an um, uh, trying to have a, a struggling over that word. I don't know why it's like it's just like you ever get that when you kind of run up against. I'm going to try it one more time. Let's see, an animosity. There it is. Got it. Yep. Yep. Encourage me. Come on. I need this this morning. An animosity toward uh, the things of God. Right, that's what Babylon is, and so we're seeing Daniel live out um, his faith, his trust in the living, true God uh, in the midst of this dark empire. And um, what it is for us is, uh, it's a great example of what does it mean not just to sort of exist and kind of maintain uh, status quo or sort of put your head down and kind of barely make it through, but rather what does it look like to thrive in Babylon? Because what we see in the life of Daniel and again also in his friends is that he has this faith and this trust in his living God which is sustaining him and not not only that, but he is prospering there in Babylon. And so many times, in so many ways, I think we can relate and we feel like we are living in a time and an age and a place where there is a spirit of darkness, where there is an animosity. See, I got it. An animosity toward, uh, toward the things of God and toward his truth and his ways and all of that. And so the questions that we're often asking are similar. Um, we have not been kind of dragged from, uh, from our home hundreds of miles away, but we know that this place is not our home. And so here we are, and, and, I, and more than just kind of putting our head down, trying to make it through more than just kind of maintaining some sort of pattern of status quo, but, but can we actually thrive here? And can we live out the truths that God has called us to? And this morning, as we now turn to Daniel chapter 6, we are coming to, um, you can see it there by the heading, um, if you have a copy of scripture in front of you, uh, Daniel and the lion's den. Now, arguably, this would kind of rank up um, in the top, uh, you know, several stories of the Old Testament that's most widely known. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you've never really spent any time in the Bible, you've probably heard uh, the story of Daniel 
and the lion's den, right? And uh, it, was, it would be an interesting kind of you know, study to look at, or maybe we just kind of pull the room and figure out you know, what are the most popular stories or kind of well-known stories in Scripture. For sure, it ranks up there with like David and Goliath, uh, Jonah, and um, I always want to say whale because that's what people say, but it was really a great fish, right? So Jonah and the great fish, let's get our theology right. And so you know, it ranks up there with that. And so we come to this story that's familiar, and I know what I'm up against here. I'm, I'm up against uh, sort of your images of, if any of you grew up in Sunday school like I did. Uh, my very sweet teacher had a flannel graph and uh, that flannel graph images, you know, that sort of thing. That was also sort of um, added to um, years later as my, um, I, w- I was a little older than this, at least I like to think of myself as a little older than this, but my siblings were right into VeggieTales, you know, so we have the VeggieTales images, all those sorts of things. Sometimes this passage gets put in the category that is, this is for kids. This is a kid's story. And what we're gonna see this morning is, um, you know, it is not just for kids. This is a story for us. And this is a story that uh, no matter where you're at in your walk with the Lord, no matter uh, what um, kind of things you are struggling against this morning, that there is some encouragement here uh, from this. And so I'm really excited to preach on this um, uh, this well-known passage, and I think as we walk through it, we're going to see some, um, some fresh truth uh, this morning uh, in that. I would say this, if we were to summarize kind of the, the point of the passage, right? Each, each passage in Scripture has a reason that it's there, a reason that it existed for its original hearers, and that kind of helps us understand what maybe um, it has for us. But if there's one kind of main point that I believe that this, um, this passage served for, it's this, it's that our God is the living God and he will deliver those who remain faithful to him. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't write that on the screen. So if you guys are waiting for that to come up, that's, that's, that's my bad. But our God is the living God and uh, he will uh, protect, he will uh, sustain those who uh, are faithful, remain faithful to him. Again, remember, this was written to people. There was thousands upon thousands, um, uh, in tens of thousands, in, uh, if not hundreds, in exile there. And this was written to encourage God's people and to say, listen, even though you're in Babylon, remain faithful. Our God is alive. He's still on the throne. And if you remain faithful to him, he will look after you. He will protect you. He will help you to prosper. And so, Understanding that, what we see there is at many points throughout Daniel's life, it took great courage for Daniel to remain faithful to God. It wasn't an easy thing. It, didn't, it wasn't kind of this layup all the time. And, and, and I would just say this, that a life of courage doesn't just happen. A life of courage doesn't just happen. It's built by the habits that you establish. You know, oftentimes we think of habits as being a negative thing, but there are healthy, good habits that we can have, some rhythms, some things that you and I um, can, can build um, into our life. And so I would say this, this morning, the title of the sermon is this, it's a life of courage, a life of courage, because Daniel lived out a lifelong example of courage in his life, um, and it was fueled by, it was built by these habits that he had in place. And so as we get to the end of his life, and if you, um, if you recall, I mean, Daniel at this point, he's in his 80s. Uh, this is not long after what we were looking at last week. And so he's in his 80s. He's now lived there for um, you know, six, almost seven decades of time have passed. He's been in Babylon. I mean, this has been, this isn't just you know, his first kind of time around the block. Like he's been living this out for a while. And what we see is some habits that he's established in that. So that's where I'd like to take it this morning uh, for us is we're gonna see what I would call three habits of courage. 
lineage uh, that, that Daniel established in his life that allowed him to live faithfully uh, before the Lord. And um, that's where we're going this morning. Let me pray, and then we're going to walk our, 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 our way through this uh, passage together. Um, God, we give you thanks. We give you praise. God, as we've already sung, as we've already declared um, through song, uh, God, you are worthy of all of our praise. God, all of our worship. God, all of our affection this morning. And so, Lord, with hearts of gratitude, uh, God, with um, hearts that have been changed and impacted by you, we now approach your word, uh, God, with desire to grow, to learn, uh, to be encouraged, God, to be challenged. And we trust that your spirit will um, and is going to do all of that. And so, Lord, we uh, just submit ourselves to you now. God, we ask that you would teach us through your word. God, these are your words for us, not just written for those that originally heard it, but God, this is written for us as well. And so, Lord, would you teach us now? We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's kind of walk through the passage, and then we'll find these habits as we uh, kind of walk through it. Uh, it begins in verse one. Uh, it says this, it pleased Darius uh, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps uh, to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should be give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Let me pause there. Uh, so if you recall, you were here last week, uh, Belshazzar, uh, it was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, um, kind of suffers a fate out of his pride, out of his arrogance, and so his kingdom is overthrown. And now that prophesied uh, kingdom, the one that was in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the army or the empire rather, represented by the silver arms in the chest, uh, the Medes and the Persians have now now taken over, and Darius is set in uh, his place. He is the king, and so he's setting up his government. He's getting his government in place, and so part of that was to find uh, these 120 satraps. Now, that's the word. It's just like kind of governors, so he's going to have 120 governors, 120 officials sort of over the different regions and over the different cities and kind of doing their thing, and over those 120, there's those three high officials of which Daniel was one of them. So I don't know if he kind of rolled in that night. Remember, Daniel had that gold chain, the purple robe, um, was placed third as the kingdom. He kind of sees him. He's like, man, you look important. Um, you know, do you want to be uh, here on my court? And obviously, they recognize something about Daniel because look at this, um, verse 3. This, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit was in him. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials, the satraps, sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And here is where we see uh, this first um, habit um, that uh, was established here. It's this, it's, I would call it this, a faithfulness to God's instruction. The habit that Daniel had formed over his life was a faith, habit of faithfulness to God's instruction. I mean, uh, you know, you can understand what's happening here, right? This, this uh, exile 
right? This, this, this prisoner of war, so to speak, was, was taken, and he's uh, once again found his way into the eye of the king. And so I'm sure it's some of the same players at the, sa- at the table, right? Some of the same guys are still around. And like this Daniel guy, again, right? That Hebrew, that Jew that, that is, is not even from here, right? Doesn't even, uh, you know, it's not even his native language. He doesn't worship our gods. He has his own kind of thing going with his own God. Now he is in this uh, kind of lined up to be put above the entire kingdom. And so certainly on the part of the officials and the other, uh, the satraps, there was this spirit of jealousy as they saw Daniel and the way that he prospered. Notice why he prospered so is because there was an excellent spirit in him. And I don't think that's the, the, the scripture saying that, you know, he was just that great, right? And that's why he did it. It was this excellent spirit came from the Lord. It was this faithfulness that had been cultivated, this, this faithfulness that had been grown in him. And so uh, it was recognized by the king, and there was this plan to put him into uh, this position of authority over the entire uh, kingdom. But these guys, in, je- in their jealousy, plotted, how can we get Daniel out of office? And I don't know about you, but it feels like, you know, um, those uh, smear kind of campaign ads, like we just all love, right? Don't we all love it when election season ends, right? Because then all those commercials go away, right? But it's all these commercials where it's like, it's always the same thing. It's like that black and white sort of image. They find the worst like possible picture of the, you know, the, the, um, uh, the candidate and, and it's kind of like, he doesn't like, you know, he does. It's like all this stuff just kind of going against. They're trying to do that, right? They've got the ad campaign picked out. They, they know who's doing the voiceover. They have the whole idea, but then they're like, well, what's the content, right? What are we gonna put in the commercial? And they're like, we can't find anything, right? There's nothing that's gonna make it that's gonna stick to him. Why? It says, because there was no fault, no air found in him. Why? Because he was faithful. If you write in your Bible, I hope you do, underline that word there or that little phrase there, because he was faithful and no air or fault was found in him. It's because he was faithful, because of his faithfulness, that they were not able to find this fault or ground for complaint that would be able to move him out of office. In fact, what they said was, the only way that we're gonna do this is if we can get it somehow in connection to the law of his God. What an amazing thing to be said about you. Right, that the only error that we can find is if we can somehow frame it against his God because we know every time he's gonna choose his God. Like this is the only way that we're gonna find any sort of uh, wrongdoing here um, in our eyes, right, is if it goes against the law of his God. And I think what we have to recognize here, again, Daniel being in his late 80s, now living out decades and decades in this foreign context, in this hostile and dark environment, this is the result of a decision that he made when he was like 14 years old. Do you remember all the way back in chapter one, the first week in this series, It says this, it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself before the other gods. He wasn't gonna defile himself before his God by subjecting himself in worship or or by eating these, these foods, right, that he was gonna put himself in there, but he made a choice that he would not be defiled. And that choice has then set the trajectory of his life and he has remained faithful to that decision time and time and time and time again. We see this decision played out not only in him, but also in his friends, 
right? He, he comes before the king and he was given the opportunity to interpret this, this dream. And so we see, uh, we see that lived out. We see um, his friends live out the same sort of determination and faithfulness um, as they are forced or asked to uh, bow before this idol. Uh, we see, um, as Daniel's interpreting the other dream, that he is um, not timid and not, uh, not afraid to speak the truth of God. We see him before Belshazzar, same sort of uh, just the purity that was in his life that is just evident for all to display. There was a life of faithfulness. And I think all of us in this room um, here this morning would say, yeah, that, we would, that, that something similar, we would desire that something similar would be said of us. Right, that we too would be a life that was marked by faithfulness. I mean, that would be an amazing thing to be said at the end of your life. He was a faithful man. She was a faithful woman, faithful to her God, faithful to his God, faithful to his commitments, faithful to his family, faithful to the church, faithful to all who he came in contact with. He was, there was a faithfulness about him. And so I think the question hopefully should come then, okay, if we desire this, how do we cultivate the spirit of faithfulness? How do we establish a habit of faithfulness? Well, first off, I think we have to understand where does faithfulness come from? And my, my hope is that you think about, okay, well, where else do we hear about faithfulness? What else is there a teaching on faithfulness? Um, if you can recall or think about the fruit of the spirit, right? It talks about the fruit of the spirit. There's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's a, it's a result of walking in step with the spirit, and so this isn't something that Daniel just sort of resolved in his heart to do. He set a, you know, kind of a particular schedule or calendar around his, his days, and then that's what kind of bred this faithfulness. It was really a result of walking in step with his God. And so the Spirit of God was at work in him, and the Spirit of God was cultivating this, this faithfulness inside of him, and he was the one who was producing this. It was God that was giving him this faithfulness. That's what this excellent spirit that was in him. It was even recognized by those outside. An excellent spirit was in him. It was faithfulness. Now, I think there's some, some things, right, some building blocks that God has given us to um, help us handle God's instruction to help cultivate this spirit of faithfulness or this uh, fruit of faithfulness from the spirit. And I think, um, I think there, there's some of the things that we, we know we're not surprised by, right? I find myself, um, you know, do we talk about this again? Do we, do we say this again? And I think, yes, we need to say it again because we need to be reminded, right? Where does, where does this, where is this cultivated? How does the spirit grow this in us? I think it, well, some of it, it comes from the time and study of God's word. Time of study in God's word. But let me expand upon that. When I say that, hey, we need to spend time studying God's word, it's not about like I need to get down and I need to have you know, X amount of times or kind of cover X amount of pages and just you know, get my eyeballs on this thing. Can I just maybe reframe that for us a little bit? The time in God's word is a chance to spend in relationship with our living God. Right, so as we open up God's word, we are asking the question, God, what do you have for me today? What do you wanna teach me today? And I would just encourage you, one of the things, if you just want one kind of, that's one handle that you can look for in God's word, just ask the question, God, what do you want to teach me about yourself today? So as you open up God's word, you can see some things about God and his character and who he is and what he's done. And so just look for that. Sometimes, again, I think we try and we get so bogged down, we lose vision of what it actually is, why we're studying God's word. We're not just trying to, you know, kind of be able to connect all the dots or memorize all the names or, man, if you can like recite the genealogy like that's found at the beginning of Matthew or something like that, but, but it doesn't actually mean anything, then that's, you've missed the point. 
The point is that this word is a chance for us to hear from, to interact with, to respond to the living God. That's why he's given us his word. And so time in his word is where the the spirit cultivates that. Also consistency in time in prayer, right? So not just reading his word, but then talking to him and listening to him, interacting with the spirit of God. We spend time again in relationship. That's That's the thing that's happening there. There's a giving of ourselves and a, and a submitting to him as we spend time in prayer. And then a faithfulness to do and respond to the things that he said. You know, there's lots of ways we could take this way, but, but you see here, I mean, Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile. He set up this standard that he was not going to succumb to temptation in his life. And so he fled from the temptation to, to, uh, to, to question or to you know, go against the instruction that God has said. And then there was encouragement from the community. Right from the beginning, I love that it's not just Daniel, but it's Daniel and his friends. Right? We don't see them in this chapter. I don't know if they've died. I don't know if they're, they've gone away, but they're, they're not referenced here. We don't hear from them again. But clearly, early on, that was a huge part of that, was that, hey, we're doing this together. I don't know what all those other guys are doing, but the four of us, we're, we're doing this. This is what we're doing. And there's this encouragement that came from the community of God. See, these are all building blocks that I think the Spirit uses to cultivate this. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So as we walk in the step of the Spirit, we use the, the building blocks, we use some of these tools that God has given us, then it cultivates this life of faithfulness. Listen, church, would it be said of us that the only way that someone's gonna find an error or find fault in us is if it's in relationship to our God. And can we just like remind ourselves, if someone is accusing you of being, you know, too kind or, or too pious or too, you know, gentle or too forgiving or too, you know, there's a lot of things that the world's going to look at that God has called us to, and they're not going to hold up in, in, in esteem. They're not going to esteem these values. And so would those be things that we don't, we don't feel like, man, what's wrong with me? Why would I do that? That's a, no, if God's called us to it, then there, that should be the things that maybe, those are gonna be things that, that, that people are gonna sling at us. And those are some great things. I would love that those, some of those things are said about us. Some people have come into our church and they've, you know, they've made the decision, hey, I don't know if it's for me. And, and I, you know, I'll often follow up and say, hey, why? You know, is there, is it, did, we, did we drop the ball? Did we, you know, any, any way that we could have served you better? Something like that. But every once in a while I hear you know, the accusation, well, you guys are just like a little too serious about, about your faith or it's like a little intense, you know, into, into God's word, or a little, little, and it's like, okay, yeah. You know what? We are. <laughs> we certainly are. And, and, and we're not gonna apologize for that. And many of you, that's the reason that you're here, is because we are serious about our love for the Lord, and we are serious about our love for his word, and we want to authentically live out our faith in our lives. And so there are going to be people, I recognize this, that are going to come in. They're going to be like, yeah, it's just a little too much for me. I want to go somewhere where it's a little, little softer, a little gentler, a little, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Because that is, that's something that the Lord has called us to. And so if that's the error, if that's the fault that's found in us, would the same be said of you at your workplace, by your neighbors, by your friends, would we be lives, uh, examples of lives of faithfulness? And here's one of the things that I love and that's uh, evident time and time again in the life of Daniel, right? Here we have a regime change again. 
Here we have a new king is on the throne, but, but who's on the throne in the view of David or in the view of Daniel? It is still the living God is still on the throne, right? Like when they arrive in Babylon, God is still on the throne. When the opposition arises throughout this book, right, we see that God is still on the throne. Uh, when others uh, choose not to honor God, uh, even fellow Jews and, and other, others that, that are there, uh, that, you know, brothers in, uh, they're uh, coming from Israel and, and, and they don't honor God, God is still on the throne. And here we have yet another change of regime and who is still on the throne? It is God who is still on the throne. And so I think this is just a reminder for us as we, as we might be tempted to, um, you know, move from a place of faithfulness to God's instruction, right? Is, is that really what God has called us to? Or is that really what God is saying here? I would just say to us, similarly, when our society rejects the truths of scripture, God is still on the throne, right? When the churches, other churches, begin to cave to the pressures of culture, which we are seeing happen more and more frequently, I would say this, that God is still on the throne, and when it feels like nobody else around us cares about the things of God, God is still on the throne. Like his kingdom is not subject to our response to it. He is on the throne no matter what. And that is what we are seeing here. So Daniel, yet again, is living faithfully before his Lord. It's a habit that he's established in his life. Let's continue on, verse six. It says this, and these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king, Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and prefects and satraps and counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Here's what's going on. They are, you know, they said, the only way we're gonna get Daniel is if we can do something against his God. And so they came up with this plan where they go to Darius, they go to the king, buttering him up. Oh, king, live forever, right? You are great, you're amazing. You're establishing this new kingdom. Hey, we got a, a great way for everyone to get on board with you as king. What if, how about this? What if for 30 days, people pray only to you? And the king's like, I kind of like that, right? Like, that sounds good. Why? Because he is the source of what they need, right? He is the provider. He is the one who reigns supreme. And so they're kind of stroking his ego, right? They're kind of playing to his pride and his sort of arrogance there. And so they, and, and he's like, is everyone on board with this, right? Is everyone, is this a, is a good plan? And they said, oh, it's everyone. It's all the governors, the satraps, the prefects, the counselors, everyone. Everyone thinks this is a great idea. Bold-faced lie, right? Who does not think this is a great idea? Daniel the very one who he's ready to put into position. But this is so often what happens, right? Like when our pride comes into view, what did we say last week? That we, we are, our, our thinking is clouded when we minimize the dangers of sin. And so here he is, he's like, he likes this plan. And so he's, he doesn't see that, oh wait, who's missing here? Where's, where's, that, where's Daniel, my highest official, the one that I trust the most? He's noticeably absent from it. But hey, if you're saying he's on board, I'm gonna believe you. And so they're like, well, let's get this done. Sign this thing. And, and just a kind of word on that, the reason that there was this law in place, this injunction in place, that this uh, law could not be changed 
was to kind of keep kings from making just sort of laws kind of willy-nilly, just kind of like, you know, kind of having a bad day, kind of wake up on the wrong side of the bed and, and just sort of feeling off. And they're like, you know what, I'm going to put this law into place. You know, and then they kind of like make a law, change it, make a law, change it. It's like, no, if you're going to make a law, it's got to stick. And so this, this needs to stay. You can't, you can't undo it which is so ironic when you think about it, right? Like here the king is trying to prove his supremacy, his authority over all things, yet he's subject to this law that he can't change. Like I just, I just love, find the irony of that, that here, like he signs this and then it can't be revoked. Like, aren't you king? Can't you change it? Nope, this is the law of the Medes and the Persians. I, even I cannot change this. Okay, so King Darius, he signs the document and the injunction. Notice what happens next. When Daniel, verse 10, knew that the document had been signed, right? So not out of ignorance. He knew full well what the document said, what the law now was. What did he do? He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before the Lord as he had done previously. For Daniel, this law changed nothing. Then these men came by agreement, found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. This is like the easiest stakeout ever, okay? Like Daniel, three times a day, same time, same place, same way, open window, you know, not hiding it. And so they're like, oh, we're gonna get him. It's like, yeah, you're gonna get him. He's like right there. You don't even, it's not even hard. So they make this agreement. They come, they find Daniel making petition and plea before God against the law, right? They came near and they said to the king concerning the injunction, here's the trap. Oh, king, did you not sign an injunction? that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered, yep. And uh, verse 13, they said before the king, Daniel is one of those exiles of Judah. He pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes petition three times a day. A little different reaction from the king than maybe they expected. But verse 14, the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. And he set his mind to deliver Daniel. He's like, I made a huge mistake, right? He labored until the sun went down to rescue him. And these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. He's like, you're stuck, king. This is gonna happen. Whether you want it to or not, this is going to happen. So the king's distressed. He's like, I, I can't believe I did this. Can't believe I fell into this trap but I, my hands are tied. And for all, all the day, tried to see if there's some way to undo it, and he could not. Now, here's where we see, um, you know, in Daniel's response here, this is where we see, I believe, the second habit that leads to courage, right? And it's this. It's a submissiveness to God's plans. A submissiveness to God's plans. What do I mean by that? Well, I think we see this habit come out in the prayers that Daniel is praying. Because let's just kind of go back. What, is, what happens here? Verse 10, he went to his house where he had his windows in the upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed. What did he pray? He gave thanks before his God. And what does it say? As he had done previously. Daniel had established this rhythm and this habit of, of praying three times a day toward Jerusalem. I'm sure the significance there is that is where the, the, the place of God's glory was seen and known at the temple, right? Remembering back to those days, longing for them to be there again. But facing Jerusalem, 
remembering God's glory and his presence. But what does he do? Not a prayer of, God, change this. God, can you, uh, can you save us? Can you do that? I'm sure that was part of it. But, but what is it marked by? It says giving thanks. He's giving thanks to God. See, to me, when I read that, that's an attitude of submission. He's understanding, God, I know I am 1,000 miles from home, but you have a plan here, and you're working something out, and I am going to submit myself to it. Three times a day, getting down on his knees in this place of submission. And let's just kind of put ourselves in Daniel's uh, shoes for a minute. I think all of us, you know, it, it, it's, if we were placed in a similar situation, I think, or at least let me just speak for myself, okay? I don't want to put you there. Maybe, maybe you're different. Maybe you're better, better than me. But here's my thinking. Is like, are there some ways to just sort of like, can I just tweak the plan a little bit so that I'm not, not doing what I've done, but maybe doing it in a little safer way? Right? Can I compromise just a little bit on this? And so um, instead of, you know, praying uh, during the day, how about if I pray at night? Right? There's not a chapter and verse that says, I have to pray during the day. Why don't I, why don't I just pray at night when everything is dark and dim and, and a little less visible there? That's not what Daniel did, right? He didn't change his schedule. Uh, how about if I pray in secret? Like, do those windows really need to be open? Can I just close them and I can still pray? God can still hear me. Again, he even says later in, uh, you know, Jesus is gonna say, when you pray, go into the room, shut the door. He's like, he just, he's kind of feeling that. And he's like, no, I can, I can do that. But that's not what he did. He didn't change the place or kind of the environment. Or what about this? What if he just kind of prays, uh, kind of puts that on hold? And he's like, you know what, for 30 days, it's not that I'm gonna pray to the king, but I'm not gonna pray to God. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of pause for 30 days. Maybe some of us have even done that. We're like, I haven't, I haven't prayed, like actually prayed, got down on my knees and given thanks to God for a while. What's 30 days, you know? And I'll just kind of pick it up again. And so, but that's not what Daniel did. He didn't change the frequency. So here's what I believe. I believe for Daniel, he knew his heart, Right? And so while none of those things at their core would have been wrong, for Daniel, they were. Because Daniel knew what that meant for him. It was a fear of man, right? And a failure to do what he felt was what he needed to do to honor God. And so he's not doing it for show. He's not doing it for others. But he knows in his heart, he has this conviction of this is my source of strength, and I love that too. Again, there's so much irony throughout this thing. Here's the thing that the, uh, the governors thought was gonna be that place of weakness, yet they failed to recognize this is Daniel's source of strength. For decades, he has been three times a day praying towards Jerusalem, asking God to work and giving thanks to the Lord for his plan and what he was doing. This is where Daniel uh, was finding this faithfulness. This is what was building and kind of establishing this. And so he's like, no way am I compromising on that. Daniel knew what he was called to do. And I'm sure his mind went back to uh, those friends all those years before, right? Where they were forced or commanded to bow before the, the king's statue in worship of this king and worship of uh, this, this God, and they refused. And so him, knowing the consequence, knowing what it meant, the, the lion's den, um, still was like, no, I cannot, I cannot pray to the king. I cannot worship him. I cannot submit in this way to him. And if you're gonna underline something in this passage, I would, I would say to underline those li- that word there in, in verse 10, it says, as he had done previously. Again, Daniel had established this habit of this. And what I think we need to realize too is for us, this, this habit of submission to God's plan is not just a one-time choice, it is a lifestyle, right? This is a lifestyle that, that Daniel chose and he's been living it out ever since. 
And I think so many times you and I, uh, we find ourselves in a place of conflict, right, where we sort of wrestle with, am I gonna submit to God's plan in this place? So many times, it's not that God's plan isn't seen, it's that we don't like the plan that God has for us. And if we're honest, we're like, I just, I wish it was different, right? I wish it was playing out a different way. And so Daniel, rather than wrestling with it each time that it came up, he just decided, he resolved, kind of formed this habit that every time that God's plan uh, sort of is in conflict with my plan, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna set aside my plan and I'm gonna choose his, right? And that's what he's doing in prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, right? That's how we're called to pray. And so I, you know, he's not probably using those words, but that's the attitude of his heart as he's doing that. He's saying, listen, I want your plan here, God. And he has set this into a lifestyle, a habit of, uh, of submissiveness in this way. And so can we just kind of apply this in a couple ways? To those of you that are in your youth, which I would say you can interpret that however you want, okay? If you want to still think you're in your youth, then, then go for it, okay? Um, if you know that you're in your youth, which I would say, you know, 40 and under for sure, as the Bible kind of, kind of groups people, it's like that's, that is, you're, you're in your youth, okay? So you've got, hopefully, Lord willing, more of your life ahead of you than behind you, okay? And so if you're in your youth, then what I would encourage you is you have not yet that I would make this a resolve in your heart. Right, that I'm gonna submit myself to God's plan no matter what. No matter what. Then when that kind of comes, when that opportunity comes along and you are kind of faced with the decision, God's plan or my plan, it's like I'm going God's plan every time. I already decided. You pre-decided what you're going to do in that situation. Man, does anyone remember um, Blockbuster? I know I'm talking to the youth, but so you may, you may not. So um, Blockbuster was this place where you would actually go to a physical location. You'd get in your car, you'd drive there, and then you'd get a physical copy of a movie that you wanted to watch. Then you'd take that home, you'd put it into a device, and it would play on your uh, TV screen, okay? And we're not talking any massive, like, big screen. We're talking, like, you know, a little kind of square sort of, you know, pre-DVD. It was like you'd get a you know, that, that tape, and it was, you hope that the person, like, be kind and rewind, you know, and, like, you didn't have to, like, start off your movie night with that. Remember what a hassle that was? Anyone have those rewinders? Um, you know, a specific device just for rewinding VHS. You know, it's like, it was faster, and then it didn't, you know, kind of wear and tear on your V. I mean, we, we can digress and talk about all of that, but here's what I remember. I remember the, like, the agony of trying, if I didn't know what I was choosing before I went to the movie store, do you remember how much time was wasted? You'd walk those aisles. You'd be reading the back. You're trying. We didn't have phones that you could like search things or like you know know what's up. And so you just spend like most of the time. You're like, I've only got a couple hours to watch a movie. And so you'd go. And sometimes it was like, well, we don't even have time to watch the movie now. We, like we just wasted all the time trying to find what it was because you're sort of searching. The good times was when you're like you knew what was there. I think sometimes you could even reserve it, right? Like you could even reserve it. And so you, you kind of had that. You would walk in with confidence. You're like, I know what I want. I know what I'm getting. And you kind of walk out with that thing. And just the agony was so much less and, and it just provided for such a different experience. Here's what I think God's word is calling us to is in a similar way, right? When that opportunity comes and it's like, well, what should I choose? Like, what am I gonna do? Like, you can decide today of what you're going to choose for the rest of your life. And so if you're in your youth, this is a decision you can make now. And those of you that are in your, um, let's say, seasoned uh, years or, um, you know, you're in your uh, wisdom, uh, right? And um, 
I would say to, to those of you, let's say 40 and up, you get the choice here uh, to, to one of two things. One, uh, you can continue the resolve that maybe, hopefully, you made all those years before, right? Would you double down again and say, yes, that's still the plan? Because I've watched and I've seen people live lives of faithfulness for, for, for 20, 30, 40 years, and then toward the end, kind of make some turns or, or, or some drift and, and kind of walk away from these things. But you have the chance to, to re-resolve that you're going to do that, or can we, maybe you've never resolved anything like that before, and today would be the day that you're gonna count on the new mercies of God, right? That there can be a new chapter written on the rest of your days. And however many days that is, if that's days, decades, or, or beyond, right? That that, that 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 is going to be a life of faithfulness and submission to God and his plan. And I believe prayer is a huge part of that. Right? We could do a whole thing on this. I don't think it's the main point of the passage, which is why I'm kind of using it to kind of teach on other things. But man, Daniel, the way that that looked like in his life was getting down on his knees, giving thanks to the Lord regularly as a, as a repetition, as a habit, all the time, all the time. So he was not, not wavering by this. All right, here's what, here's what we see next. Let's continue on. Verse uh, 16. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. Uh, and he declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought, laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. He was just distraught all night thinking about Daniel, what was happening to Daniel. He's thrown into this pit with all the lions. What's gonna happen? At the break of day, right? As soon as he could. As soon as it's no longer yesterday and now it's today, he runs to the den of lions as he came near where Daniel was. He had like obviously sent some people ahead. Hey, get that stone off. He cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually. See the habit there? whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions. Then Daniel said to the king, what an amazing moment that would have been. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, shut the, the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, and I, have done, and I have done no harm. And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. That is what I would underline right there, because he has trusted in his God. And the king commanded those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and were brought and cast in the den of lions. Here's the part where you're like, I don't remember this on the flannel graph. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones in pieces. Here is the, uh, the third habit that we see here. It's this, it's a trust in God's ability. It says right here, right from the text, right, that no harm, no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And what was Daniel doing at that moment? He was trusting that God would save him. There's no fanfare, no, you don't even see like, he's not even putting up a fight, like he knows full well. He's like, I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna get thrown in with those lions. 
And the thing that was giving him courage, that was fueling the courage was what? It wasn't his trust in, you know, that the lions were just gonna kind of, you know, have an off day or not be hungry or something like that. He knew full well, like that's, that's not the kind of nature of what was going on there. They purposely kept them underfed for this very purpose. This wasn't, um, you know, this is, this is what was gonna happen. But he trusted God's ability to save. And here's what I think we... Um, we need to be reminded of is that those that trust in the Lord uh, prosper. Uh, those that go against his commands do not. There are several verses we can look to, but maybe, maybe these are some of the kind of truths that Daniel was holding on to. Ecclesiastes 10.8 says this, he who digs a pit will fall into it. All right, that's what we see going on here. Uh, the, the, this was the plan for Daniel, and yet they find themselves in the den of lions or Proverbs 14, 32. Uh, the wicked is overthrown through his evil doing. Maybe this is what God was trusting, or that Daniel was trusting in God's ability uh, to do. Or how about these, these words of David from a psalm of, of David in Psalm 57. It says this, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords, be exalted, O God, Above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Right? Daniel was trusting in God's ability to get his thing done. And I would acknowledge, you know, one of the things, let me just kind of, kind of side note, point this out. It is hard to read about the families being thrown in with them. Like some of us were like, man, that's, that's bad. And it is bad, okay? When scripture reports on that kind of stuff or includes that stuff, it's not condoning it or saying that's like what was, you know, do them. In fact, Deuteronomy 24, 16 prohibits the death of fathers for the sins of children or the death of children for the sins of their father, all right? So that's not in here just kind of celebrate, yes, the wives and the kids too, right? That's not the point. But what it's showing is, man, this is how twisted and wicked this is, that this king, he felt that even that, and, and maybe it was self-protection, right? Doesn't want one of the kids to grow up and kind of avenge their dad. And so he's gonna kind of get it all done right there. And, and that's kind of what's going on. But I think it's also in there to show that this, once the, the lions couldn't do it or they weren't hungry, right? Immediately this happens. But it is a reminder that these choices that these, these men made not only affected them, but it did affect their children and their wives. You see the result of sin. And what's happening at the opposite side is Daniel is protected and saved. Why? Because he trusted his God. And you see that King Darius recognized this. Look at it. He wrote to the peoples and the nations and the language that dwell in all the earth. He says, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree in my royal dominion over uh, the, uh, my royal dominion. People are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. And look at this, this, uh, this song that he writes here. He says, for he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This is out of the, the mouth of a pagan king, understanding and recognizing that the living God is on the throne. And what does it say here? So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. He continued to be uh, protected and, and, and blessed by the Lord for his faithfulness. And I would just say this, church, listen, we're talking about trust. Trust leads to courage. Again, there's probably a ton of prayer, as we saw, accompanying this, right? But if we trust God, it leads to greater courage in our lives.
And so if you want greater courage, I would encourage you, it's not just that you kind of like muster up this courage kind of to be able to do brave things, but it comes from a trust in God's ability. Similarly, um, you know, I think uh, in that there should be prayer uh, because if we kind of opposite of trust, maybe we would say is sort of pride, uh, kind of like rather than trusting in God, kind of pride, trust in myself, uh, that leads to prayerlessness. A huge indicator of pride in your life or sort of a lack of trust in God would be a lack of prayer in your life. If you trust in God's ability and his willingness to do things, right, and not in your own, then that's going to lead toward greater prayer. I think that's one of the things, one of the indicators that we can see in the life of Daniel is that there was a huge piece of trust. He knew that he couldn't do it, and so he goes to God in prayer. We see this way back again in chapter one. What do they do when, when, they, um, uh, when they have this opportunity before the king and the, the dream? And they, they go and they, they, they pray. It's trusting in God and his ability. And we see here, we can be reminded of this truth that Daniel prospered as a result of God's faithfulness. And I think this is a truth that God's word teaches us is this, is that God's people prosper when they are faithful to him. Now, some of us, we hear that word and we're like, wait, prosper? Is that, are we talking prosperity gospel here? Is that what we're saying now? Yeah, for sure, we actually are. We're talking about prosperity. But here's the thing, we need a better definition of prosperity, right? So many times prosperity as we use it today or is often thrown around is like dollar signs associated to it. I'm not sure that that's the best prosperity that we all are going after. What I'm saying when I say prosper is I mean there is peace, there is contentment, there is purpose, there is fulfillment, there is joy, I'm telling you, some of the most prosperous people I have ever met in my entire life are in the rural countryside of the little country of Eswatini. So you don't even know where that is. It's surrounded by South Africa, kind of far southern part of Africa. I've been in the rural countryside with people that have next to nothing by our standards. And they're some of the most joyous, content, like I just want to hang out with them because they have something that I don't have. There's this prosperity because they are faithfully living out their life before God. And even though they have nothing, they are so, so content. And when I look around and I see all the things that we have, right? All the stuff, all the bling, all the swag, all the like whatever. And what are we? We want more. We're chasing after other things. There's not this peace, this contentment, this, this joy that comes. When you are faithful to the Lord, there is a prosperity that comes and it's in the form of that contentment, that joy, that grounding that Daniel had. And it says here that he prospered during the reign. For Daniel, that meant positions of, of authority and power. God used him in that way. It doesn't guarantee that you're gonna get the promotion, right? But it's gonna mean that God's gonna take care of you. And he's gonna provide for your needs. And he's gonna use you in a way that is in, 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 in line with your gifting and your calling and all of these things, that that is the promise that God has for us in his word. He did this in the life of Daniel. He wants to do this here. And Daniel stands along again. We have so many stories where we see the people of God choosing brave things. Right? Daniel built a boat in the middle, or sorry, Noah built a boat in the middle of like nowhere, uh, far from any major bodies of water, trusting that God would send the rains as he had said. Right? Moses leads like a million people to a river that they had no means of crossing, just trusting that God would provide a way. Joshua, like for days, walked around a city. That was his attempt to, uh, or what he was doing, following, trusting this brave, this courage that was coming. David walked out with no armor, just five stones, trusting that God was going to provide a way. We see this time and time again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stay standing. Everyone else is bowing, trusting that God's gonna save him, them from the fire. 
right? We see this over and over and over again. So I would just say to you, listen, I don't know what you stand up against, but when you put yourself in a place of trusting in God's ability to do it, following his instruction and his way, that he has the power to do abundantly more than we might ever expect, right? He protected, he shut the mouths of the lions, he protected Daniel. And can we just end with this? I believe that each of these habits were formed out of a belief in God and who he is. And so if you and I wanna build habits, I think they are this, best formed out of our beliefs. And so let me show you what I mean by this. The, the habit of faithfulness that we saw, the first one that we looked at in Daniel, I believe it's this, it was formed out of a belief in God's wisdom. Right, that, that, that Daniel was faithful before the Lord because he believed that God was wise and that his way was best. Right, that his instruction was correct and right and was going to get him to the place that he ultimately wanted to go. Right, he believed in God's wisdom. The habit of submissiveness right, comes from a belief in God's care. It's easy to submit yourself to someone who has your best interest in mind, right, who has the ability to care for you and watch over you. That's a very easy place to submit to in that place. And so belief in God's care for him. And lastly, that trust, it comes in a belief in God's power, right, that he can close the mouths of lions. He can work a miracle in this situation. And so by believing in God's power, and that allowed him to trust in his God. And so listen, church, I think, again, it'd be easy to walk out of or walk away from a sermon like this and be like, man, I gotta, I gotta form some habits, right? I gotta get some routines down. I gotta get some things down. Or maybe, you know, we're in that category where um, I, think, I think pastor called me old today, right? I gotta, it's too late for me. How do I do this? Listen, if you wanna start forming some habits, I would look at the beliefs, Look at the beliefs that fuel these habits. What do you believe about your God? Because if you believe these things, then it's easy to get it done, right? I believe if I don't brush my teeth, they're gonna fall out and I'm not gonna have them someday. So I, I brush my teeth regularly. Flossing, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not the best at that, right? I don't believe that it's going, I know, okay, I know we got Dennis in the room, okay. I know that it does, but I, I don't, honestly, in my heart, I don't believe that it's gonna make that big of a difference, and so I don't do it, right? But I do believe that I have to brush, and so I'm doing that, and I know I'm trying to get that flossing down, but, but that's the same thing, right? If you believe in God and his power, then you will respond in trust to him in these situations. Listen, church, this is what we've called is what we've been called to. This is the example that we've been given, and, um, and this is God's truth for us this morning. Let's pray and uh, get ready to respond to him. Our God, we give you thanks today for your goodness and your, your faithfulness to us. Lord, when we see stories like this, um, God, in so many ways, this, this situation is so different than anything that we are facing, but in other ways, Lord, this is exactly what it feels like sometimes. Now that we are faced with, with opportunities to compromise, got opportunities to uh, question or to doubt, Lord, your plan, your faithfulness, your goodness. And Lord, every time, every time that we choose and we respond to you, God, we are reminded that you are able, God, that you are powerful, that you are working. And so, Lord, I pray um, just for a greater courage. God, that you would help us establish these habits and that it would lead toward a greater courage, a greater trust in you. God, we wanna to respond to you out of our understanding of who you are, God, believing what it is that you've said in your word. And so, Lord, we look to you, we respond to you. 
And we do this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.